Hey, what's going on, everyone? I'm Jeremy Lee, and you are listening to episode three of Reading the Play, the show where athletes share their story and experiences about life and sports. Additionally, we'll break down some key decisions they made so you can get a better understanding of their journey and where they are today. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on multiple platforms. It's also available for download at sportcalgary.ca. And for more content, follow the Facebook page and on Instagram at Reading the Play or myself at Legacy. In this episode, I talked to Kelly Murray, defenseman for the Calgary Inferno, and we had a great chat. And I feel we only scratched the surface on some of the experiences she went through in her hockey career. So we may just have to record another episode with her down the road. Looking forward to that. But for now, we get to follow her journey through multiple sports schools, sifting through different college options, her time at Cornell, and just like her playing style, we get into some gritty areas, which you don't want to miss out on. And we'll talk about her transfer to UBC and how she's able to continue her hockey career playing with the Calgary Inferno. So it looks like Murr's all warmed up on the hot seat. Let's get it. Kelly Murray stopping by Story Island today. Uh, glad to have you here, Kelly. How are you doing? Pretty good, thanks. Thanks for having me. So you grew up in Medicine Hat, Alberta. Born and raised? Uh, yeah, born and raised Medicine Hat. So you had three other uh, female siblings. Yeah, two older sisters and one younger, and um, we're all about a year apart in age. So eight or nine was your first exposure to hockey, or was it a little earlier? My dad played hockey growing up. Um, his brothers did too. Hockey was a big part of his family. You know, my, my grandpa played and his brothers. Um, so we'd gone to some, you know, public skating and kind of had skated on skates a little bit, but no real hockey background at all. Didn't really happen until my, until my dad kind of was talking to, um, talking to one of his cousins, Andy Murray, who is, um, head coach of uh, the LA Kings for a while and St. Louis Blues, really, really big hockey family um, from Minnesota. And so Andy was telling my dad, he said, you know, you should really get your girls into the sport. Like it's such a great game, like a lot of opportunity, you know, especially when they get older, like, and my, my dad really respects Andy. So he was like, yeah, you know what? Sure. Like, let's get them interested. So he sat us down in front of the TV for the gold medal game for the 2002 Olympics. Salt Lake City. Yeah. 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 Uh, Canada versus USA. And I mean, bought a bunch of snacks that way we would actually sit there and watch and watch the whole game and of course Canada won and I remember sitting on the couch and watching those girls win and when they were standing on the blue line singing the national anthem and I just I mean it sounds a little bit cheesy but I really do remember kind of looking at my dad and be like oh I want to play like I want I want to do that that looks like so much fun and then you know what one sister does all all of us had to do so I know my other sisters were also kind of interested after that game as well. So, I mean, my oldest sister, Logan, was 12 at the time when she started playing. So I was eight, Maddie was 11, Logan was 12, and Eden was six or seven. The next year, all of us were playing. So when you were playing, um, let's say, outdoor rink hockey, yeah, were you trying to mirror your game after, uh, you know, an NHL player or after watching the O2 Olympics, one of the female players? Like, so for me personally... Uh, when I was on the ODR, I would, I'm a big Red Wings fan, so I was always trying to be like Datsuk. When I was younger, I don't really remember that as much. I mean, of course, everyone, you know, you, you hear those names like Haley Wickenheiser and Cassie Campbell. The, those are the names that the little younger girls always kind of wanted to model themselves after, right? 
I mean, it's a lot different than how it is now where we've got professional women's teams and maybe, maybe they were around then when I was younger, but I just wasn't aware of them, you know? I do remember getting older and loved Nicholas Lindstrom and just wanted to play like him. And that was kind of, as I kind of got into, you know, 12 or 13 years of age and was, you know, kind of started watching NHL hockey a little bit more. I, I remember just loving the way that he played. And I mean, my dad had a big impact on that too. You know, he, you know, whenever we'd watch a Detroit game, he's like, oh, like that's Lindstrom. Like, you know, see what he does and model your game after him. And I'd be like, okay, yeah, sure. That's one of my favorite players too. That's yeah. amazing. He's very smart around the puck and he can just bat it out of midair. Like his hand-eye coordination at the blue yeah. line, unreal. He was just like a, a timeless player from the age of 20 to 40. Like didn't matter how old he was, he was just still so effective. And I think that's a, that's a sign of a really good hockey player, right? Is being able to kind of go throughout your career and just stay steady. And I think that's maybe one of his best attributes and something I'm still trying to get to today is just being a steady hockey player because it can be one of the toughest things to achieve. So from 12 or 13, you were already determined to play on the blue line. Yeah, (laughs) I think, yeah, I knew from a pretty early age, maybe partially because I was probably a little bit of a lazy kid and I thought maybe being a defense would be, defenseman would be a little bit easier. But um, no, I think for me, when I was younger, especially, I thought the game a lot. So hockey instincts just kind of were one of my strengths. So the blue line just was a comfortable place for me to be because I could really see the game and think the game. Not to say forwards aren't smart or don't have hockey sense or anything like that. It was just my hockey sense just kind of lined up with the defenseman's defenseman's job a bit more than a forwards. I mean, I wanted to play goalie, but my dad wouldn't let us. So. <laughs> and you never wanted to score the big goal? I, I used to think I always wanted to. And then when I did get older and I kind of started scoring a little bit more, I realized that I, I almost loved the assist but more than the goal. Like, of course, getting the big goal is a really exciting thing and makes you feel good because you, you get that goal for your team. But no, I always loved the pass, right? Because a lot of the times you're, you have to see something. You have to try to kind of get through an opponent or through this obstacle in order to get your teammate the puck for them to put it in the net. So that's kind of how I saw it, especially being a defenseman, right? You're usually one step away from the net, right? Like the forwards are always a bit closer, so kind of always saw it as a bit of a puzzle, right? Like trying to get the puck a bit closer to the net for for my team to put it in, so. Well, on the other side of the coin too is it might be a really good feeling for you to shut down maybe the best player on the other team. Yeah, that's a good feeling too, yeah. From an early age, you were already playing with some of the older kids, is that correct? Yeah, um, especially growing up in Medicine Hat. I'm not sure how the situation is now, but when I was growing up, there was limited girls hockey in town. I remember novice wasn't really a problem, but then when I got to the Adam age, they didn't have a girls team. So um, I remember I tried out for the Pee Wee girls team and Aaron Burghart, my coach, was really impactful, you know, and I think that's a big thing is a lot of, you know, a lot of coaches at that age, you know, the, the kids are so young, you're really like, oh, you know, what am I doing for them in regards to where they'll be in 10 years? But it is a very impactful position for like, no matter what age, what a coach can, can do for a player, right? So Aaron took me on his team and I played with the older girls, you know, as an Adam playing for the Pee Wee girls. And then um, when I got to Pee Wee, I decided I'd talk to my dad and I, I wasn't a huge kid, you know, but I was, I was same size as the boys. So my dad said, you know, let, let's try out for boys. And I was like, yeah, sure. That sounds fun. You know, so did that. And I made the Pee Wee boys team in Medicine Hat, which was the highest level you could play for boys there and um, played, played there for two years. And, and I learned a lot. I think that was really good for my my hockey as well because when you're and that was actually at the time when boys could hit and peewee you could hit I think it's bantam now I think they changed it but that definitely did have an impact too because 
definitely makes you keep your head up when when you know that a kid can come from any angle and hit you right and I mean at that time most kids are the same size but you definitely did have a few big kids like I remember a lot of the setters are from Lethbridge and I played against a couple of them and I remember one of the setter boys hip checked me along the boards and I did a front flip and I remember I landed on my butt and I, but I remember my dad always told me he says it doesn't matter how hard you get hit get up and you know, make sure you get to the bench. Like, don't ever roll around the ice or be like one of those kids. If you can, get up and get off, you know, especially because I'm a girl, you know, you never want to make yourself a target when you're playing with the boys. Were you intimidated at all? That one hit was, knocked the wind out of me. Like, even before, like, even like maybe that first news you got that you made the boys team, was there like, oh man, I'm um, playing with like some actually, bigger kids now? That's the, the reason why I made the boys team was because um, during tryouts, you know, I was the only girl trying out and I know... There's two PBAA boys teams, so I know both the coaches were kind of like, oh, you know, it, you know, she's a good player, but can she handle the physicality? Like, that's one of the big questions, especially for a girl playing boys hockey. And right. Darren Dietz, he was a big kid, kind of scary. And um, I remember I was skating up the boards, and he came down and just barreled and just smoked me. And I was laying on my back, and I remember what my dad had told me before tryouts. He's like, if you get hit, you got to get up, especially during tryouts. And I was like, okay, so... I got up and I skated to the bench and I sat down and then coach comes over. He's like, you okay? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm okay. So he puts me out the next shift. And I remember um, when I, when I made the team, Craig, the head coach, when he called me, I remember him saying, you know, saw you get hit and we knew you could take it. And we knew you, you were going to be tough enough to, to do this because Dietz was one of the more, like the toughest kids in the league. So if I could handle that, I could probably handle anything. But I remember after, after I first got hit that, I was like, oh, like, what am I doing? And it was just a split second, and then I kind of got over it. And and then I I was pretty much usually the one throwing the body around on the ice of the boys, so tables turned a bit, especially in the second year there. <laughs> when did you start to take hockey seriously and make it your main focus? Probably right around the time when I started playing boys hockey. You know, before it had always been pretty fun, and when I played up with the older girls, I think I realized that I really loved it. and It was a lot of fun. You know, I had always enjoyed other sports, but hockey, I just loved being on the ice for games, like especially games. And um, when I started playing boys hockey, I just really started getting competitive. It really helped because my two older sisters, when I was right around that age of being in Pee Wee, they had gone off to um, Pursuit of Excellence and then down to Shattuck. So and, and they had come back during the summers and told me how much fun it was. You know, all you do is hockey and all this stuff. And I just, I think really that also really helped shape that motivation too. You know, seeing my older sisters do it, I wanted to do it too. And Team Alberta kind of started coming into the mix a little bit there too. So that also really helped. You spent one year at Pursuit of Excellence, correct? Yeah, one year at Pursuit, grade eight, and then one year at Shattuck for grade nine. How would you compare the two programs in terms of what they offer? Well... Pursuit is definitely cha- has definitely changed a lot since I went there. Oh my god, I don't even know how long ago that is now. Uh, yeah, so grade eight when I went to Pursuit, um, they didn't even have girls teams. They had maybe seven or eight girls in the whole program, and it was majority boys, and I think they had three boys teams at the time. So my younger sister Eden and I both went to Pursuit at the same time, and it worked out perfectly because my, my mom moved there too with us. You know, my, my family made a lot of sacrifices for hockey, and my mom and dad, you know, they're they're married and still together, but living apart just solely for the purpose that my mom could be with my sisters and I. So Pursuit was all about hockey and it was amazing, especially for me at that age. I loved it. You know, you do three hours of school and then 
two hours of ice and an hour of dry land and then an hour of stick handling and skills and then you know and then usually my sister Eden and I would have uh, practice you know two or three times a week because I played for the Bantam AAA team in Kelowna because that's where Pursuit is and um, Eden played for the Pee Wee AAA team both the girls teams and it, it was just a perfect scenario for both of us and it was a lot of fun I, I loved it there D-Roy, the, you know, the owner of the program and founder of it, he, he was just a great man, you know, very, like, good, had a good heart, and I think that really helped build the program as well. When you have somebody like that who just loves hockey, loves the game, and loves their players, yep. um, and but loves them not just as hockey players, but as kids, right, like, can see the, the room for growth, that really helped. So it was just such a fun program because when I was there, like, everybody wanted to be there, and it was just hockey, 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 and it was wonderful and then Shattuck was a little bit more of a reality check because you know it was school and then hockey was was worked around school but it was I mean Shattuck is just such a historical program in itself right like especially on the girl side like boy side included right like Sidney Crosby yeah big names have gone through there yeah yeah exactly so it was beautiful right it's like a castle it was potentially going to be one of the sites where Harry Potter was shot like it's it's beautiful yeah so and the program was great the the school was great. Like I could have stayed there for my entire high school career and been very happy, but so why didn't you? Well, in the end it was, it was the family, right? So I know we'd kind of talked about that earlier too. Like for me, one of the biggest values that I've kind of carried through my life. And I mean, when you're younger, you don't really value it as much, but it has been, it's been my family, you know, Eden and I traveling around together, going from pursuit to Shattuck and then of course my two older sisters were already at Shattuck when Eden and I arrived with my mom my mom moved around with us and you know and then it kind of became my dad you know it was for my dad that's why we left because he was doing a three-hour commute from Medicine Hat to Calgary and then you know the flight from Calgary to Minnesota and then driving from the airport down to Faribault Minnesota it was just ridiculous for him you know and he was doing whatever he could to see us as much as he could so at the, at the end of the day, um, one of their friends in Calgary, you know, told them, they're like, oh, we have this new program. There's this new program opening up, Edge School for Athletes, like new girls team just started up last year. You know, it's like, you guys should consider doing it. Because of course they know, like four Murray girls, like by that time, our story had been kind of passed around a bit, right? Like a big family of four girls, like going to a couple different schools. So my mom and dad went and looked and they, they loved it. My sisters and I were pretty pretty pissed off when they told us we were leaving Shattuck and tell me tell me how your dad broke the news to you guys oh god it's it's funny now at the time we were we were so mad so they decided that the best place to tell us that we were leaving the the school that all four of us especially the three older ones because Eden wasn't able to play in a hockey team there so especially my two older sisters Maddie and Logan and I we love Shattuck and so they decided the best place to tell us was at Mall of America in a sushi restaurant and <laughs> oh god it, it was it was really funny um who took it the worst <laughs> my my second oldest sister maddie she was pretty mad a couple glasses of water got got thrown i was gonna um, say or some sushi yeah some rice went yeah, flying i don't know yeah no rice but some water got chucked and my mom kind of got in there too right she my mom's a fighter she's not gonna back down when she knows she's not in the wrong so it was funny looking back at it now, but at the time we were all pretty bummed out about it. But that was your world. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. Like especially for us, we're that age. All we'd known was hockey, and 
we came to the school, it was like a fairy tale and all of us had such great friends there and we were so sad that we had to leave, but I'm so glad that we did in the long run. I think Edge was the perfect place for us to end up and it was really important for us as a family to relocate back to Calgary and be closer to my dad and I'm, I'm really, really happy that we did it. Yeah, and just before we move on, I just want to touch on the point just about that key message you were talking about of the sacrifices your parents make. Yeah. And, you know, they really just put family first. That's really, you know, the biggest thing they can do and the most noble thing, I think, as a father. And recounting all the different flights and travel plans your dad had to organize and execute and um, all the miles he racked up and the, and the gas, all of that, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, I look back at that and I'm, my dad just loves us all so much, you know, and he just wanted to give us all the best possible opportunity that we could that we could have, you know, he knew that these schools were going to be a way for us to get to that next level, you know, in order for us to get into those good universities and get a great education and continue playing. And him and my mom both just did everything for us. You know, we were their first priority and it just, you know, kind of chokes me up a little bit just thinking about it, you know, just how much they care about us. And I mean, of course we still are, maybe, hopefully, but like we were their whole lives, you know, and I think my mom moving around with us just yeah nothing to take away from your mom no no yeah yeah no no yeah yeah. like my mom moving around with us and my dad making all that travel yeah it was just yeah sacrifices for both ends yeah yeah, right like they didn't live together for well technically because my mom when because my dad was still in medicine hat when we moved to calgary so my mom lived with us in calgary again right so oh my god it would have been seven years that they didn't live together like in the same household full time it's a long time as a married couple to not really be together full-time when you're you know especially when you've got four kids like it was was tough on both of them I I know it was well and I I think it's important to talk about it because you hear from maybe interviews after someone's won a Stanley Cup or at award show and they talk about oh we want to just thank our parents or the people that helped us get us to where we are today but you know just what you described there I think is valuable in knowing what it actually takes to get to where they are yeah it's it's a lot of sacrifice and my sisters and I because we do have a bit of a different hockey story and you know we sometimes do get those questions you know like oh like why'd you pick this school you know like how was it you know what would what advice would you give to you know a young kid or you know even a, like parents sometimes will ask you know and it's just be ready to make those sacrifices and if you really want your kid to go all the way or you know I'm not saying you have to send them off to all these schools or anything like that but just it's going to have to be their first priority. And in some ways as a parent, it, it might have to be yours too. And it, it's a, it's a sacrifice and it is tough, you know, like, oh my God, all the hours my mom spent driving us to the rinks and, you know, especially cause at times all three of us were playing on different teams and it was just, so it's crazy. not just the driving, but it's like coordinating the logistics between oh, yeah. and the timing between picking up one girl versus one of your sisters or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. It made it a lot easier when, multiple sisters were on one team for my parents that's for sure that's right yeah so you moved back to calgary and now you're attending a new school once again what was that transition like for you it was tough because like i said we loved shattuck and i mean i love shattuck a lot and i found it a little bit difficult you know but at that point i'd kind of gotten used to moving after a while you kind of get into that routine edge again was a great school because it was all athletes right so it was people like me people who had goals and passions like me even if it was in a different different sport so it was a bit different but I mean it was similar to Shattuck in the sense where you know it was it was school but it was hockey centralized around school and 
I mean, Edge is a, has such a phenomenal setup. Like the gym and the rinks are connected to the school. Like you can't get much easier than that. It's a first class facility and it was beautiful. And now that, especially now that I look back and, you know, we're skating there a couple of times, like then for, as, then for an or skating there, just going back and visiting the school, you really definitely have a lot more respect for it now than I did back then. But Absolutely. Yeah. So you talked about how Shattuck St. Mary's was more maybe school focused and then hockey was around it. What was the culture like at Edge? Maybe I kind of felt that way about Shattuck just because Edge was all athletes while Shattuck, you know, it was a really unique, diverse mix of, you know, artists and and all these, you know, super intelligent kids that had come from all around the world to study at Shattuck. And it was just this big diverse cultural group of people and it was super unique and you know so maybe in that way like the school felt like it did have a little bit more importance but edge edge was all athletes and everybody was there because you know they have got phenomenal teachers out at edge and they've got a great great educational program and everything but kids were there because they wanted to get better at their sport so that was a really unique thing I think about edge was just that it was all athletes and you know if I had to miss something for physio or you know practice or when we had to leave for the weekends to go travel over to travel down to the states to Boston or Washington our our teachers were great you know they'd help us out like if we ever needed extra help they'd give us times to come in so we could catch up on missed tests and quizzes and stuff like that so it was it was pretty cool when we were at Edge together, Logan, Maddie, and I played on the same team, and it's the most Murrays that have ever been on one team together, and that was fine. Maddie was a great hockey player, so I think all three of us fit in really well with the team and you know knew our roles and, and played really well. So Were was, you paired up on defense with Maddie? We definitely had our had a couple spats in practice and stuff like that every once in a while, but I'm, I don't really remember playing with, with my sisters a lot on the ice. What was maybe like the funniest moment uh, between the sisters? <laughs> so... Oh God, it's kind of embarrassing. But so one practice, I can't even remember what it was about, but um, Maddie and I had a couple words. I'm just making Maddie and I sound like enemies here. God, no. So Maddie and I- Oh, you guys love each other. Oh yeah, lots of love. Yeah, no. So we were on the ice and just, I I can't even remember what happened, but we got in a pretty bad spat and our, one of our assistant coaches, Amy Young, she's super, super funny. She just, she, she said, all right, that's enough. Guys, come with me. And she pulled us off the ice. I think there was 15, 20 minutes left in practice or something like that. And we're like, oh God, we're going to get in so much trouble. And so then she sat us down on the bench and she's like, okay, I need you guys to face each other. So we just like, okay, Amy. And then we just turn and like looked at each other and then she's like, okay, take off your gloves. Okay. Like, what are we going to do? Start fighting? Like, geez. And so then she's like, okay, now hold out your hands and hold each other's hands. Like, like, are you kidding me? Yeah, no, do it. And so we had to sit in the bench and hold each other's hands and stare at each other in the eyes until, <laughs> until we could figure it out and stop fighting. So, and if, you know, of course our entire team thought it was so funny, but it took us a few minutes and then we kind of got over it, started laughing and then got back on the ice. So who took the high road first? Probably Maddie. I don't, I can't even remember. <laughs> I just remember we both just kind of started laughing and just was like, okay, let's, let's go. Take me through maybe a typical day at Edge. What does a day in the life of a student athlete at a sports school consist of? So it's probably pretty similar for Shattuck and Edge. From what I remember, it was kind of ice in the morning, sometimes at night, or I think it's about Shattuck ice in the morning. But so for Edge, it was, I think we get there in the morning, and then sometimes we'd have an early morning lift before school, and then um, then go to school for the day, and then end of the day, we'd go have practice, and then 
you know, head home and then kind of do that throughout the week. And then I think on we'd travel a lot on Fridays because, you know, we were going to Boston or Washington and um, the JWHL at the time, you did tournament style, right? So you'd travel and play like a bunch of teams and it was a lot of travel and, you know, you play a couple of games a day sometimes. It was pretty tiring, but it was fun. So kind of around this time, you're thinking about entertaining post-secondary offers or you're thinking you want to play uh, university level hockey yeah so I think for my especially for my younger sister so Maddie Eden and I we really we kind of got a bit of a jump start on that because we saw Logan go through the process and that really helped us out a lot you know our sister Logan was a really big trailblazer for all three of us she left home first and lived by herself out at Pursuit and then Shattuck and you know we kind of followed in her footsteps and then of course university for, for my parents they had both gone to university but when it in regards to recruitment for, for hockey and you know div one and all that stuff it was just a brand new playing field for them so it was pretty new for them too so um so my sisters and I really got like a big benefit by watching Logan go through it you know and yeah so I I'd say I, I did start thinking about it when I was about grade nine or ten probably some like around the same time where Team Alberta kind of started happening and I really realized it was an opportunity for me and an option for me to go play post-secondary and then, of course, when you go to schools like Shattuck, you know, with all those big names and all these girls committed to these huge programs, you really start thinking about it. And then Edge, the same thing, you know, all of your grade 11, 12 kids who have committed or are trying to commit. I think that's one of the really good things about those schools is you're surrounded by all these fantastic people and players. And as, like as a younger kid, I could really look up to them and see, you know, what they were doing and how they were carrying themselves and talking to schools and just kind of gave you a feel for what you had to do in order to get to that next level. It was a process though. It's it's a it's a tricky one too, especially if you don't really know the ropes and you're not really sure how to go about it. Yeah, I think that's a huge topic that I want to touch on because evaluating what schools you want to go to, there's so many options out there. So for you, when was the first points of contact or the first initial uh, reaches from schools start when did they start happening for you all the schools I talked to went by the book because NCAA has got a ton of rules so I think they can do one letter in your grade 10 year maybe you know just saying we're this school will be watching you and we're interested or, or something very basic and generic along those lines you know they send out thousands of them and then they can give you a call summer before your grade 11 year and then you can really start talking to them I think after that because that point like grade 11, grade 12, like those are the years where girls really start to commit and look into the programs and go on official and unofficial visits. I think you can have five official visits and that's where the school pays and you can have as many unofficial as you want because that's where you're paying to go visit these schools. Right. Yeah. So when it came time to choose, how many schools did you have to decide between? So I did get contacted by like a fair amount of schools. I I can't remember the exact number, but I it was like 12 to 15 I can't remember um and I I knew I wanted to go Div 1 I don't really remember why I wasn't considering Canada CIS at the time now U Sports for me and for my parents especially because you know my parents were really a big part of of the process their number one concern was education if um, my sisters and I weren't going to get a good education they didn't really want us seriously considering the school how about for you personally what was the biggest weighing factor for you for me it was probably the hockey you know I just still I loved it so much and I respected my parents wishes you know I I understood the need to get a really good education and I know my mom had experience firsthand because she did her master's down in the states when she came back to Canada 
some of her courses didn't transfer over and I and I'd heard some stories from other kids that had gone down and you know their degrees weren't as applicable in Canada because they they hadn't gone to a good enough school I mean I don't think that problem happens as much anymore but um, yeah it used to be a big thing absolutely yeah, yeah. so I know for my parents it was just a huge thing they wanted us to go to a great educational school and for me it was the hockey so when I had to narrow down my my top schools those are kind of the the top two things for me was the program and and the education and so I I ended up choosing Cornell and it felt like a really good fit not only because of those two things but also because of the girls that were currently on the team Lisa Gallardi and Jess Campbell who my family had known and we thought very highly of both of them um you know there's a handful of other girls that we had heard of that, you know, just good character kids and Doug, the head coach for Cornell, did a great job recruiting and, you know, just really talked about how, because at the time, like you had Brianne Jenner, uh, Rougeau, Fortino, Johnston, Johnson, there, yeah. um, Jill Saunier, Jess Campbell, Alyssa Gallardi, Haley Cudmore, you had all these fantastic players, right? Like it was just Team Canada pretty much at Cornell and, and he just really sold that you know you just said you know like think about it you're going up against these girls every day in practice like and it does make a difference when you I kind of touched on it for the high school thing like when you have those players to look up to and to mold yourself after them like it it really helps to grow like help yourself grow as a player but I think um, looking back at the way I made my decision to go to university I probably would have maybe taken a couple other things into consideration like Um, what I would have made more of an effort to um to talk to the girls to figure out where, the, you know, the girls that, that were at Cornell at the time or, you know, whatever university it is and just kind of ask them, like, what they thought the flaws in the program were. Just try to get a better feel for, um, you know, the campus and the schedule and the routine and, hmm. you know, kind of what every day was going to be like and, you know, is everybody happy and is everybody enjoying themselves? And this isn't to say that the girls at Cornell weren't happy or weren't enjoying themselves, you know, because that's not what I'm saying at all. It's just... Now that I'm older and looking back, I think I would have probably tried to take more things into consideration other than, oh, it's a good team and it's a good school, you know, because at the time, that's all I was really looking at. And I think it was narrow minded. And I know we kind of touched on this, too, like something that I wish female hockey had as an option was for girls to be able to do what the boys can do and start university when they're 21 rather than when they're 17, 18. Because if I had gone into university at the age of 21 compared to when I was 18, I might have had a very different experience just because you're so much more mature right like those two ages in comparison so if, th- if you think there was like a whl or something like that for for women yeah or even just like a junior league or i know um montreal they have an extra year kind of like grade 13 type of thing where girls, right. girls can yeah. play and then come in and i remember cast Poudrier, she was um she was a year older than me and all of the other freshmen and i mean i think it showed she just had another level of maturity that I mean, I probably could have used it at times. So you make your decision to go to Cornell. Obviously, you're super excited because mm-hmm. that was kind of your dream school, potentially, or like at least what you're looking for in a school. Yeah, it, it was my dream school. I think I knew early on that that's where I kind of wanted to go. So what did that transition look like for you? Let's just start off with life, where you're moving across the country and all of a sudden you're on the East Coast as opposed to... Calgary, Alberta, and going into your first year, you know, new program. Um, what do you even take at school? All this stuff. Like, what's going through your mind there? Definitely thought I was prepared, and I definitely was not. I think 
I assumed that since I had moved so much that another move would have been easy. Right. And, you know, I'd gone to so many different new schools that starting a new school would be easy. Right. And um, I just, I think I really underestimated how much preparation you really have to go, you have to really have to put in in order to be super prepared. And I think, to be completely honest, I don't think many freshmen that go into university are it's, you can never really be prepared. University is just a whole other ballpark. As much as you want to prepare for it, you might never actually be fully prepared. But um, life-wise, in regards to first going to university... Like, did you choose a major already? Or you no. Know oh, God, no. I was like, oh, maybe I'll do this. Like, maybe I'll do this. I took a bit of everything, like, my first two years. And that's actually something I maybe wish I hadn't have done, was just kind of been you know, not been so, oh, you know, maybe I'll try this and this and this, just try a couple things and then just commit to doing one thing. And then, because I kind of spent like the first two and a half years of my, of my university career, like not really sure what I was going to do. And then it was only after I transferred that I really settled in and focused on, focused on one major. But, um, I wish I had maybe, you know, taken a couple courses because I think that's always a good idea. And then second year, just really focused in on one thing because, in your second year, I've, you know, maybe halfway through, you're kind of questioning it. You can always switch a major, double major, you know, major and minor. Like there, there's options with that, you know, but you're still working towards it. While in, for me, my last couple of years at UBC, I felt I was maybe scrambling a little bit to try to get everything in line and everything done because I hadn't taken that time to really plan out my, like this, the school side of, you know, what I needed to take and what I needed to take it by. So when, when you didn't really have a direction in what you were taking at Cornell, do you think that potentially translated to how it affected maybe the way you played or your sports life? Probably. I, yeah, I, I think, I think so. Just, it was a distraction? Yeah, maybe a bit of a distraction. Like I just, like I said, I don't think I was fully prepared. I just kind of assumed that because I had been through similar scenarios in my past that I would be prepared for something as big as university. And I wasn't. And I think just a combination of all factors that really led to me maybe not doing as well as I had hoped at Cornell you know because I had I loved my two years there like I I really loved my two years at Cornell it was a great team and program and the campus was gorgeous and the school was you know Ivy League school just phenomenal teachers and classes and everything else but you know looking back like if I could go back and talk to go back and try to give myself some tips before I went in I just tell myself first things first train like you're going to a div mm-hmm. one program yeah. you're playing for a div, div one team get yourself get yourself in shape to be able to compete at that level because high school to university is just two completely different games so even physically hey you oh, felt yeah. like you were just in a different league oh my god yeah and 100 percent. like you're playing against girls that are what like how old are you when you graduate like 22 23 like that's right yeah yeah and you know an 18 year old kid coming in and i was like oh yeah, I, I got so, this hey? yeah. yeah yeah it's just but you think you could bench like 300 pounds and, you know, <laughs> yeah. squat 900, whatever. Yeah, well, for me, I didn't even really realize that that's what you needed to do. You know, I, I remember <laughs> being a freshman and, you know, there was, we had a big class. There was eight of us in my freshman class. And so walking into the weight room and, you know, going through first couple lifts with some of the girls and you see some of these girls just bench pressing like 175 like just ridiculous weights and i'm sitting i'm like okay i'll just go over here and do my 85 pounds like i never really bench pressed before i'll just do the bar yeah (laughs) yeah exactly like i'll just i'll be over here in my corner but yeah so that that was a big eye opener i was just thinking that i was at that level and getting there and just realizing i was not and it wasn't like i was a bad player it wasn't like 
you know, I hadn't trained, like I had been working out and everything. I just didn't realize to the extent, you know? So I guess when you kind of asked me, you know, what for university and that process of recruiting and everything else, I wish that I had maybe tried to figure out like where these girls were at. You know what I mean? Like tried to figure out a baseline of, especially for, for younger kids, you know, going into university and when you get there, you want to make an impact right away. Right. So I wish I had maybe taken a harder look at my, at my weaknesses. For me, it was maybe the weight room, you know, cause I had like, I worked out a lot, but, um, had never really considered that in regards to where all these other girls that were four years older than me would be. So. Well, it's probably nicer to n- know what the standards or expectations yeah, would have been. Yeah. Just like, no, yeah, exactly. Like standards and expect expectations, like what those were. And I, I think that, you know, Cornell probably did share them with, with me, you know, Doug probably was like, Oh, like, you know, you got to be in shape. Like this is kind of what girls are doing. But I was like, Oh yeah, sure. You know, I, I don't think I really took it as serious as I should. have. Right. Or that could be another question you could ask those girls that are already attending. Yeah. Hey, like, what does it look like workout wise? Yeah. Like, you know, what are girls doing in the weight room? You know, like, what do I need to be doing in order to get to where you guys are at? When you first got to Cornell though, was there uh, like a mentorship opportunity with some of the girls on the team or one of the girls to take you under their wing? I think they did try to do something similar to that. You know, like I know, especially for the leadership group with Cornell, they were pretty good at noticing if girls were struggling and trying to help them out. And they were really supportive. Like I, like I, ne- I never felt alone at Cornell. You know, I always felt like if I had to talk to someone, I always had someone to talk to, which which is really good. Maybe sometimes I didn't take advantage of that opportunity as much as I should have, and I wish I maybe did a bit more. It probably would have made my life a bit easier those first couple of years because they were pretty rough for me. Let's talk about your first year at Cornell. Uh, was that first time you stepping on the ice and just seeing all the girls move around so fast and just the strength that they all possess, was that intimidating for you or were you just jumping right into the fire with them? I think I was, I think I was a bit intimidated because like I said, when I got there, it wasn't until I got there that I kind of realized, oh my God, like I'm not, I'm not maybe a hundred percent prepared for this. I'm ready for this. And so I think when I got on the ice that maybe affected me a little bit, you know, I saw these girls who were all just such phenomenal players and I was like, oh my God, like, can I do this? You know, can I play with these girls? And it took me a while kind of to get my feet under me and get going. And you, you were mentioning that you had eight other, sorry, there's eight recruits in total. Yeah. Was there a chance for you to see the ice at all in your um, first year? Coming in, I knew that with a roster, especially a defensive roster, as deep as we had, you know, like I said, Fortino, Rougeau, you know, Cuddy, Gallardi, you had all these top 4D, right? Like right Absolutely, away. Yeah. And, and I knew, you know, Doug had mentioned, you know, like, especially first year, let yourself work on things in practice and show yourself in practice. And like he said, he's like, you know, we're going to give you opportunities. And, and they did, 100% they did. But yeah, I, I did going in, I knew that it, I might be on the bench a bit more than I had been used to. And we had three freshman defensemen, six spots for returning defense. And then you've got three freshman defensemen battling for two spots. It was competitive for sure. So unfortunately at the end of your first year, you suffer an injury. Yeah, half, halfway through actually, right around Christmas, end of Christmas. And that was your f- first concussion? I think I had gotten one in high school, but it was it was a minor one and I was back after a couple of weeks, but that was the first one. And it was really unfortunate timing. Maybe that's a good way to put it. The, the timing that the concussion had happened because I think after that, my freshman fall, so, you know, like the first half of my freshman year, I, like I, we'd kind of been talking about, I was lacking confidence, um, hadn't come in prepared, so wasn't seeing the results that I'd maybe wanted to on the ice, off the ice. Um, right. 
you know, classroom was, wasn't a really big issue for me. I've always been a pretty good student. But yeah, so confidence-wise, you know, just wasn't my happiest. And I, you know, looking back, I think a lot of the issues I faced could have been fixed by by me being a little bit more aware and prepared going into university. But so getting that concussion going into the second half of the freshman year definitely didn't help the situation at all. Yeah, it was it was really tough having to sit there and watch watch my teammates play and... Like I said, they were always supportive, always there to talk, but I maybe didn't talk to them as much as I should have, you know, Mm. and it was a really unfortunate time to get a concussion, and I think the effects of that concussion, just my psyche maybe, um, you know, I fully healed from it and recovered, but just the lasting effects that I didn't really take seriously, that I didn't realize had lingered on, you know, in regards to my my confidence levels and all that stuff like didn't really start coming out until the next year and but a lot of it was just kept internally yeah yeah I I internalized a lot of what I was going through and I think that was a a big mistake by me of course I didn't know it at the time I didn't know what I was doing but I really wish that I had reached out and tried to talk to someone sooner about what I had been going through right yeah just digging dig down deep into that a little bit more about like what you what advice you would maybe give to someone who's maybe going through that or, um, you know, who's suffering from, you know, maybe that head injury where it's like, it's not really noticeable on the outside, but really it's a big deal on the inside. There's a lot more talk about concussions now, especially in hockey and the hockey world and everything than there was when I was kind of really growing up. When I got into high school, they started doing concussion testing and all that. And that was kind of what I really remember the beginning of the concussion talk and then university they were really aware and on it our athletic therapist did such a great job but like I said I, I came in and I wasn't prepared and I think maybe that that shock happens to a lot of first year university athletes and students you know regardless of whether you play a sport or not you're just shocked by the by the change absolutely and um and you know I, th- I thought I had to be tough all growing up you know I just thought you know just kind of keep pushing through it you know it'll, it'll just go away like you just got to work hard get better, get in shape, get back out there, prove you're good enough to play, and then just kind of that that cycle. And looking back, I wish somebody had just kind of stopped me. I'm like, whoa, 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 no, like, just stop for a second. You know, hold on, sit down. Like, think about what's going on with you right now. Like, are you, are you happy? Like, why aren't you happy? Like, really dig into that. And like I said, I internalized a lot of stuff. Like, the first thing I should have done was started talking to people and been like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm not feeling great right now, you know? And it's it's tough because in a university setting like that, like everyone's in the same boat. Everyone's got to go to the 6 a.m. practices and got to travel on the weekends and go to go to school, you know, go to their stats class at 8 a.m. on the Monday. You know, it's, it's everyone's going everyone's going through the same thing, you know, and so I think maybe that's part of it. You're like, oh, like they're going through it, too. So I don't want to bother them with my problems. But in reality, like talk to someone about it, whether it's like a half hour chat or it's, you know, it turns into something where you need to talk to someone like half an hour a week or something like it's just right it's worth it it's worth it you know and it, it'll make a difference talk to me about your opportunity to train with gary roberts between first and second year that sounds like an amazing uh, chance to just train with a legend outside of him winning the stanley cup in 88 89 with the with the flames that's all i know about gary roberts really <laughs> is that he's just a gym rat or a workout warrior yeah uh, what was that like it was exactly what I needed for that summer. After going through that injury and just not having the the first great freshman year that I that I had hoped for and dreamed of, I was like, okay, you know what? Like, had some injuries. Like, let's get over it. Let's train hard. Let's get back at it. And then, you know, come into next year going strong. And so, you know, I'm from Calgary, and Gary Roberts is based out of Toronto. So 
one of the girls from Ontario on my team, like Vicky Pitton, she, she trained with him with me. And so, I mean, Gary Robertson himself, he, you know, I think he kind of turned around moment in the, in the NHL where he looked at his career and realized it wasn't going the way he wanted to. And so he used fitness as that way to really get himself to where he wanted to be. And like you said, you just, he did it right. And the gym rat kind of thing, like just completely turned his life around. So for me, it was a phenomenal opportunity and, you know, he's super smart and, um, his, the trainers that he had working under him were phenomenal. And, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't all about fitness too. It was the first time that I had ever really looked at my nutrition. Cause you know, I'm growing up, everyone's always like, Oh yeah, you know, nutrition's important. Nutrition's important. Like, look at this, this, and this. And it's like, okay, sure. Did I never really understood nutrition. And then after training with Gary Roberts for about a month, that's like when I really started looking at my nutrition and understanding it a little bit better and kind of starting to get what it took in order to be healthy right because for for one of the biggest things that he preached was that yeah it's about the gym but it's mostly about what you're putting in your body right like that's you you, yeah you can go to the gym four hours a day but if you're eating like crap you know you're not going to see the results you want yeah yeah. the results yeah half the results that you maybe should should be seeing were his workouts pretty intense yeah i I do remember them being pretty tough um and it was pretty cool because we were training with some of these nhl guys too right i know steve stamkos was like his big name and i think i saw him in the gym a couple times but they were tough workouts but they were really good too right because like i said that's what i needed after that 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 freshman year is i needed a bit of like a jump start boost back into things but i think more importantly it was a confidence builder was not yeah definitely was yeah it just especially for um, having my teammate there, Vicky, you know, kind of going through the same things I was. Like, she wanted to go back into Cornell feeling great. You know, her freshman year maybe didn't go the way she had really wanted it to as well. So she's a super positive person as well and was really, really helpful with, like, for me in that, that, like, we were both working through this together and just building each other up, you know, like, seeing each other get better and just being like, oh, you know, we're going to come in next year and be great. Like, this is this is awesome. Yeah. It was a huge confidence builder for sure. You know, like I, I, I went back to Calgary for the rest of the summer and just felt so, yeah, like I kind of had a bit of my pep in my step again. Did you have different expectations than going into second year or um, like what were maybe some of the goals that you had set uh, going into your second year at Cornell? Yeah. I think the biggest thing for me going into my second year is that I had an idea of what to expect I kind of had an idea of what I needed to, needed to do in order to get to where I wanted to be. So I think in terms of my goals, I remember we had this ridiculously hard conditioning test. And in order to play, you had to pass the conditioning test. So for me, that was one of my main goals was going into Cornell. I wanted to pass the conditioning test the first time first time we had to run it. Because I remember my freshman year, like when when we ran that conditioning test, half the team failed something it was just it was ridiculously hard and so I remember that that was my main goal is I'm going to get in good enough shape so that when I run that conditioning test I'm going to pass it the first time and I mean looking back at it half of it was just like mental toughness you know what I mean Mm. like it was it's like running the beep test you know everyone can get to level 10 but half the kids drop out at 9.5 because they just they can't push themselves through those mental barriers right yeah so I think for me going in I focused all on like the physical aspect you know like get in shape be you know like be ready be prepared for practices for games you know and then school too you know kind of have a better idea of what your schedule needs to look like because that was a big thing for me too is I didn't understand that like if you've got if you've got a 6 a.m practice you know like what's the most ideal time for you be you to be going to class you know and 
that's also something I maybe would have paid more attention to is really organizing my class schedule, like freshman year, something I would have paid more attention to is scheduling my classes around my hockey and, you know, really having that outline. So food wise, everything else, you can kind of have a bit more of a flow and a routine and you're not all over the place, but, but yeah, so going into my, going into my second year, it was definitely just fitness, like be ready, be prepared and make sure I'm at that level. And I I think I did it. You know, I came in and I remember I passed that, that conditioning test and I was so happy. I almost cried because I was just so proud of myself that I had done it. Yeah, it was, it was a good feeling. How did second year go for you? It was a bit of a disappointment. Again, it was kind of, you know, first year was kind of in my hands. I didn't prepare going in. Second year, I was prepared, but it's kind of got a little unlucky. Came in and I, I felt like I was just doing great, you know, um, did really well throughout our preseason camp and training camp and all that stuff. And I, you know, had that confidence and was like, this is my year. Like, I'm just, I'm going to do so great. I'm so excited for this. And then third game in, I scored my first goal in the first period or something like that. And then second period, I broke my collarbone and it was just, it was just ridiculous. What happened on the play? I remember it perfectly, like vividly see it. I, I was in the D zone, had the puck, rimmed it up the boards. I was facing behind the net, left shoulder up against the boards behind the net, facing towards my D partner. And a girl kind of came up into like my blind spot and just rubbed me out against the boards. It wasn't a wasn't a hit from behind it wasn't a dirty hit or anything like that but just hit me funny and my um my right shoulder rolled over on itself and I smashed into the boards and I fell on my shoulder funny and I just remember falling and just just hearing this like click or something like that like and then I just started screaming and I mean like I'm, I'm not a I kind of mentioned it earlier like I, I don't when I get hurt, like I try to just get up and get off. Yeah, even from your days with playing with the boys. Yeah, 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 exactly. I just, you know, I and mean, I just remember I was laying on the ice. I just screamed because it hurt so bad. And then. And you stayed down. I stayed down. Yeah, I, I couldn't move. And after the initial shock had worn off, I, I kept screaming. I think it's because I just knew something was wrong automatically, you know, and I just kind of broke in a little bit inside too. And so then I think my teammates were really hurting too, right? Because I think yeah. they they kind of known it had been a tough first year and then going into second, I had had such a good start and then third scored game. Scored a goal. Third, yeah, scored a goal, third game in. Yeah, scored a goal and then period later broke my collarbone. So could your shoulder even move? Could you I, I, wiggle it around or what, like, or like you were too much in shock maybe? Yeah, like too much in shock and pain. I just remember sitting in the, in, in our training room and, you know, everybody coming in after the game and I think Doug really felt for me too because he knew, like, he, he, I think he was really sad for me too because he knew how hard I had tr- like tried to get back into shape and, and, you know, he said, you know, don't overthink things until you get the x-rays, all that stuff. So our trainer, Katie, she was phenomenal. She went with me to get the x-rays and came back that it was a slight hair, you know, not full fracture. And so, okay. so super excited about that. You know, Katie's like, Kelly, this is great. The doctors had read the x-rays and they told her. So she was like, Kelly, the doctor said that four weeks, you're back at it. We'll rehab this, get you back to where you want to be, you know, get you back on the ice. And so I hadn't fully lost hope after that. You know, I was like, okay, yeah, like I can still do this. Like just four weeks, you know, it's not, I'm going to miss first couple weeks of the season that's fine I can deal with that and then we were rehabbing it I was trying really hard to get back and and it it didn't really feel right you know I just kind of was pushing through the pain I was like okay like this is just gonna hurt like just kind of got to get used to this and I was walking with my friend one day just down like a gentle incline of a slope nothing huge and I just kind of stumbled I did I didn't even fall I just 
took an awkward step forward and I, I had a sling on and I remember like, I just kind of pulled my arm up against my chest just to kind of protect it. And I felt this weird, sharp pain sear through my shoulder. And I was like, Oh God. And of course, like the next day I wake up and I, there's this like little lump on my, on my collarbone right where I'd broken it. And I went, I went and saw Katie, our trainer and and she's like, okay, well, again, it was, it, I was in a lot of pain by then. And so she's like, okay, well, we'll take you back to the doctor and just get, just get x-rays just to be safe, you know? And, and so got x-rays had second set of x-rays. And so then the doctors looked at the first set again, then like looked at the second set and they're like, oh, we were wrong. It was actually a full fracture the first time. So I had been rehabbing my shoulder wrong and, um, I'd been rehabbing it like it was a partial fracture when in, in fact it was like a full. And so... I think that's really where I just just crushed me because I was like two weeks into my rehab and I was like, oh, I'll be back in two weeks. And then I was like, oh, no, sorry, you're out for another six. So it was the, the first half of the season was done. That just floors you. Yeah, I just I just I didn't know where to, where to go from there. So how long did you internalize that for? I think that's where I kind of fell back into myself. And I think I kind of had an idea that I maybe wasn't happy again at that point. Reflecting back on it now, you know, I I spent that whole, like, after my first year during the summer training physically, like, trying to get back into shape. And I wish I had maybe spent a little bit more time on, like, the mental side. Because injuries happen, right? Like, sometimes you can't control it. And I wish that I had maybe taken more time to, to focus on the mental aspect, to get myself ready, you know, for another potential setback or injury or what whatever it was you know and came into second year I was ready physically but I don't think I was ready mentally Mm. you know yeah I just kind of fell back into myself and internalized things and didn't talk about anything which I probably should have and then going into the second half of the season you know when I was back I I think I was a different player I didn't have the confidence that I usually have and you know at that point I was kind of dreading coming to the rink I was dreading practicing playing everything like I just and that that's not who I am, right? Like ever since I was a kid, I loved the game. I always wanted to play. I always wanted to be, you know, on the ice and having fun. And it was like the first time I could ever remember not wanting to walk in, into, the, into the rink. But being on the sidelines so much, it just made you question, you know, what are you doing? Yeah. It, it who, made, you, who you are? Yeah, it made me question everything. I was like, what am I doing here? Like, you know, do I even love it anymore? And I think that was like the biggest thing that it did to me mentally is it just made me question my love for the game, something that I had always just always had, you know, and I think injuries do that to a kid because when, when you can't play, what's your approach to the game, right? Like, how do you love a game when you can't physically be on the ice? Right. So Maybe it would look different if you had gotten injured earlier. Yeah. Maybe in your career. Yeah. And but... I th- yeah, exactly. Like, you know, I had been pretty Not lucky. that I'd wish that on anyone. Yeah, but... <laughs> no, no. And like, I had gone through some injuries when I was younger. Like I tore ligaments in my ankles and sprained ankles, you, you know, just stuff that happens. But an injury like that, in-season injuries especially, I just find are, can be really tough mentally on on athletes to recover from, especially when you're in that scenario where you're trying to prove yourself out nice and really trying to get back to playing shape and you just keep going through injury after injury. So... Did you tell a lot of people then that you had the full break? Uh, because I, I talked with uh, one of my good friends. He's a football athlete. And he was saying that he had played his last year on a torn ACL. Um, but he didn't tell anyone because he didn't want that to be the center of attention. He didn't yeah. want people to always you know check up on him. So he just kept it to himself, kept it from his agent. Yeah. Um, you know, But for you, 
when you heard that the news was more devastating than you had than you had initially thought? Was it just your close friends and family that you told, uh, teammates, or was it maybe even outside of your circle? Well, I mean, I guess collarbones are a bit different, right? Because you got to keep them in the cast, like. And it was my right hand too, right? So I I couldn't write. School wise, I was a little bit in a tough position. You know, I had to tell all my teachers, be like, you know, I've got this injury, and physically you can see it because my my arm's strapped to my chest, and the team sees that, like the other athletes in the school see that. Like I said, the trainers were always super involved and like really trying to help and do whatever they could. So you know, I I don't think I. I mean, it was hard to hide something like that from anyone. I, I remember sometimes feeling bad because I never wanted to be a, a negative drain on the energy of the room, right? Because when you have those injured players around, like I remember I just kind of sometimes wanted to distance myself from the team because I felt like I was just taking away from them, which which wasn't the case and which I should not have done. You were telling me at one point that you were considering walking away from hockey yeah. uh, just because you had lost that passion and just the love for the game. Mm-hmm. At what point in your rehab was was that happening for you? My first year, you know, I wasn't really walking away from the game. It was just kind of like, oh, you know, like, what am I doing wrong? And then second year after the after the collarbone, and then coming back second half of the season, you know, that's when I really started doubting myself and really doubting my love for the game. And I think I just kind of was like, why am I playing? You know, I don't even I don't even enjoy enjoy this anymore. And then I got a concussion, a second concussion, and I don't think that helped anything either, right? And it was just kind of a downward spiral for me from there. I think it was after that the second year though during the summer I was just unhappy you know I think my parents could especially see it you know my, my dad has always been really involved in my hockey career and he's the most positive supportive dad and parent I could have ever wanted you know he never pushed my sisters or you know was ever I've never yelled at us once never you know was like that crazy hockey parents stereotype that was never him you know he's only ever positive and, and supporting and loving but I could I think he could see that that I was struggling and I remember talking to him one day and I was just like I just I'm not happy you know he's positive and supporting but he's also pretty upfront and he's gonna kind of tell you how he sees it and he's like well then quit it's like well what do you what do you mean quit I don't want to quit he's like well if you're not happy and you don't love it then then quit do something else and I was like well, I'm not ready to do that though dad like I can't quit he's like all right fine then then transfer give yourself a new start and I was like just kind of sat there for a moment. I was like, okay, fine. I'll, I'll, I'll transfer then. He's like, all right. And so it had been like a couple weeks, I think maybe leading up to like where I was like, I'm unhappy. Like, I don't want to do this. And then just after that conversation with my dad, when he just verbalized, it was like, fine, then quit if you're not happy. And I said, no. And he said, okay, fine, find another solution. So then for me, it was transferring. And I think that really, well, you didn't even consider it up to, up until that point. Yeah, no, like I, after my freshman year, I had visited my sister Logan at, at McGill and I'd seen, I saw how happy she was with her team there and, you know, loved it. And I was like, oh, you know, maybe like made me realize that people love their teams and their universities, wherever they're at, you know? And so I think seeing her so happy in her environment made me realize that, you know, something like that could be a possibility for me in other places as well. Cause like I said, I loved my, my first two years at Cornell, but it reopened the door to maybe CIS or playing in Canada. Yeah. It just kind of made me realize that like I could be like as happy as much as I loved my team at Cornell and my friends and everything else. Like I could be happy at another school too. And I think that's what that really showed me my first year. And then, so in my second year when my dad posed that question to me, I, I had never really thought about transferring. I just made sense to me. I was like, yeah, you know what? Like I can do this. And I think this would be a good thing for me to do. So you just started looking up schools or how did that yeah. <laughs> come about? I don't think I'm 
an impulsive person, so to speak, but I pretty much go with my gut. And so I was like, yeah, you know what? This feels good. I'm going to transfer. And so then in like the span of a couple days, I went online and I was like, I know I want to go to a good team and I know I want to go to a good school. And we kind of talked about that earlier, like, cause my dad asked me, you know, do you, do you want to play in the States? Do you want to go to like another div one school, you know, somewhere else? And I was just like, no, no, I don't. And probably the easiest thing would have just been to transfer inside of my conference, but I didn't want to do that because I didn't want to play against my teammates. I just wanted a fresh start. And it wasn't about like being too cowardly to step on the ice against them. It was just, I didn't want to put myself in that position. I felt like it would have been weird. And I just wanted a fresh start and just, you know, complete kind of do-over. I knew I was like, you know what? No, I'm going to go to Canada. They were still the CIS at the time. And they had just gotten rid of the rule where my dad had told me about this. This is one of the other main reasons is because um, the CIS used to have a rule where if you're transferred from the States, you had to sit out for a year. And then you could join the team. And so they'd just gotten rid of that rule. And it was like a five-year trial period for it. So that was another big part is that I could just transfer and just start playing right away. And for me, that was big. I did not want to miss any more hockey because I had already missed enough in those first two years. So you end up thinking, oh, let's just move to the entire side of the continent. (laughs) Yeah, because like I said, I wanted to go to a good academic school. And I wanted to go to a team that was like a good hockey team. So I looked up the rankings, top 10 CIS teams for hockey, and then I looked up top 10 Canadian universities, and I matched them up, and the top three, I think, were Toronto, McGill, and UBC. And it was actually, I think, the first time that UBC, the UBC team had ever cracked the top 10 for hockey. I was interested in McGill because my sister had been there. Right, I was going to ask you if you considered playing with Logan out there. Yeah, I I definitely did, because like I said, I I went and visited her there, saw how much she loved it, and McGill's a fantastic team, and Peter's an amazing coach, and so it definitely was a, an option for me. But so when I was looking at the UBC roster, I saw Graham Thomas was the head coach. And I had had him at one Team Alberta camp and he was an assistant coach, just a helper coach, you know, was there for one week. And I had loved him. Just his approach to the game, his demeanor in the in the dressing room, on the ice, in the rink, like everything. I just thought he was awesome. And I, and, you know, I was 16 at the time, you know, and now I'm 20 years old. Mm-hmm. trying to figure out you know another school to go to and like he had just stuck out to me so much that it wasn't even kind of a question after that I was like you know what no like I want to go here so I remember after all of the kind of the logistics had been figured out you know for transferring and all that stuff just talked to Graham and just said you know I'd love to come play for you and you know we talked a bit and then I came out and visited and it just worked out perfect just I couldn't have written it any better myself was it easy for you to make that decision to go to UBC you talked about maybe being stubborn at the beginning, right? So it's like maybe thinking, oh, yeah, you know, I don't want to give up on my dream school or what I thought was my dream school. Yeah. Was there a, a part of that or was it, yeah, I'm ready to move on to the next chapter of my life? Yeah, you know, I think I had really tried for Cornell. I mean, I didn't go in prepared, but I really tried to get myself to where I thought I needed to be. So I'd been pretty stubborn those two years. You know, I was like, no, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to get through this and then something just changed in me after that second year and I just was like I just realized that you know sometimes in order to be happy you have to make the harder decision you know because it probably would have been easier for me in some aspects just to stay at Cornell and kind of just try to grind it through you know like oh no like I'm just going to stay and try to figure this out and put myself through the same thing over and over again if things had been different I probably could have had an amazing career at Cornell and come out of there so happy and everything else but it just wasn't in the cards for me so I think it was a really really tough decision to transfer I think probably one of the hardest I've ever had to had to make 
but I don't regret it. I think it was the it was the right thing for me to do. So yet again, you have to adapt to a new system, new coach, new players, all of that, new conference, new league. Did you prepare differently for this one? Yeah, I did. I went in and the only thing I told myself was just learn from my learn from my past mistakes, go in and be be in good shape, you know, be physically ready. But on the mental side of it, I just kind of I just told myself, you know what, just don't put any hard expectations on yourself. You know what, just go in and just do what you can do and just try to enjoy yourself. And, you know, I think that was like the biggest thing for me was just learn to enjoy the game again and love the game again. And When did you start rediscovering your love for the game? It, w- it was definitely a process. But I think the second I stopped, try- like I was, I think I just was too hard on myself. And so the second I just stopped putting all this pressure, like unnecessary, unneeded pressure on myself, I just automatically started enjoying it more. And, you know, UBC was a great atmosphere for me to be in. It was just fun. And, you know, everybody was just happy and easygoing. And, and, you know, I came into that program and like, I did approach it a bit differently. You know, I kind of went in and I just focused on myself. I was a little bit more quiet, a little bit more reserved and laid back. I didn't try to jump right into things. And I just kind of let myself ease in rather than just dive head first like I just I'll usually just fully commit to things and just go from there but I really try to just kind of ease my way in I think that was big well you're telling me you were you took up yoga as well yeah I did yeah that was a that was a huge part of it too yeah because my first year at UBC was just kind of a transition year I just kind of let myself you know feel my way through it and then it was really after my second year that I started getting into yoga my because my first season was good my second season was better and then after that second season, I just spent the entire summer focusing on myself. I did yoga like three times a week and just trained and worked out and did some court summer courses at UBC and um, had a part-time job, you know, and it was it was the best summer. It was the most fun summer I've ever had. And mm. But yeah, like yoga 100% was the biggest factor in me from going, from taking my game to good to great, you know, from that helped me become a first team all-star for U sports or whatever that that my fifth and final year was was I think the yoga because it just when you're on the mat like you just have to kind of slow down and you think things through and I think mentally like the mental side of yoga was really good for me but it was also like the physical side working on those small muscles and my stride got way better I you know I didn't take any um, skating lessons didn't work with a skating coach or anything like that like mm. all I did was yoga and it just opened up my hips which is whatever hockey player struggles with and it's like the one thing I would recommend to anybody who wants to improve their game in a couple months just do a bunch of yoga increase that flexibility <laughs> yeah exactly yeah main thing so but in your fifth year and congrats on all your accomplishments the first team all-star all of that but in your fifth year an opportunity comes up for you to play in Kazakhstan. Mm-hmm. Where did that come from? So, I mean, U Sports kind of gets together that the FISU team, or the FISU happens every two years. I believe so, yeah. Yeah, for the winter university games or whatever they are. And um, Canada, of course, sends the hockey team. And so I got the invite through that. And it's like a week and a half or something. And it was in Kazakhstan. So it was really far away. And I remember... Um, was your first thought, Kazakhstan? Why there? <laughs> yeah, I remember trying to be like, okay, yeah, like Kazakhstan, like trying to envision it on a map and just being like, I think it's like east or something. I don't know. Like, You're like why am I not playing at the China. Bell Center? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was like, China, Russia, somewhere in that area. I'm not sure. So yeah, it was a bit of a, a different destination, right? Like, I mean, I don't know if many people would have Kazakhstan on their list of 
you know, to visit countries and stuff. But Not on was, my travel list. To yeah, be honest. yeah. Yeah. But it was an, it was awesome. It was so cool. It was because you went in with zero expectations. Yeah. That's why it was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And it was just, it was also the, the people too, you know, it was really the, the locals that made that experience super awesome. It was, they were all just so happy and excited that everybody was there, you know, like you're wearing all your Canada gear and you're walking around like, oh, Canada, yeah. And then they just want to come over and talk to you and take pictures and selfies. And some of them are pretty good at English. Some of them have pretty broken English, but they're all just so excited and happy and love that you're in their country. And I think that was probably one of my favorite parts was just interacting with the locals. And well, you're like a rock star there. Oh, yeah, it was it was pretty <laughs> cool, right? Like it's it was like a mini Olympics, you know, they had the, the athletes village and even getting to know other athletes from other countries was a really awesome experience too. But yeah. And I remember when we played team Kazakhstan, um, I, we, we beat them and it was, it wasn't a very close game, but every time Kazakhstan touched the puck, it was a sold out arena. And every time Kazakhstan touched the puck, the, the fans would just start screaming and they would just go crazy. And it got to the point where you could, like, I couldn't even hear the coach. She like tried calling us in to talk and she had to send us back out there she's like don't worry about it we'll talk in between periods like they were just it was a really really cool atmosphere to play in front of even though it wasn't a close game it was just how excited everybody was it was really neat my only memory of kazakhstan in hockey i can't remember if it was like one of the olympics 98 2002 but they showed a picture of the kazakhstan bench someone had just skated off ending their shift and they had to take off their gloves and they had to pass it down the bench like they did not have enough equipment for the whole team. That's literally my only experience, uh, you know, exposure to Kazakhstan yeah. hockey. Yeah. Um, but it was just well run, I mm-hmm. guess, that university had experience. Yeah, for it, was, it was very well run. And I mean, one day we went outside of the, the compound and uh, the athletes village and uh, we went to this little outdoor rink in the middle of the city and it was very different than the rinks that we have you know it was kind of makeshift put together and I I know we Canada does have some of them right but oh my god I like looking back at that experience I realized how how much I take for granted having an outdoor rink at every corner of the block right like just what like 20 in Calgary right like Mm -hmm. you go to so many different ones and so I think this was the only one in all of Almaty because I think that's where we were that's the city and I remember I talked to the guy who built it and he just said, you know, I, I just love hockey so much. Like, and I think his little kid had on a Crosby or an Ovechkin jersey or a, it was a Kane jersey. A Patrick Kane really? jersey on. Yeah. I would have put my money on Ovechkin. Yeah, no, his, his little kid had on a Patrick or a Patrick Kane jersey and was just ripping around the ice. And he's like, I built this for my son. Like, I really wanted to be, you know, to be able to come out here and play. And it was just super cool to watch all these little kids, you know, and some of them had on those NHL jerseys from Patrick Kane, right? The Blackhawks, like nowhere near Kazakhstan, like no idea how, how that became the kid's favorite player, but whatever motivates them to keep playing. And it was, I just remember seeing that and that was just really, really cool to get to see all these kids. So you're coming off your fifth year, you've won first team, all Canadian at, for U sports, and you've come off this tremendous trip to Kazakhstan. Did you know what life would look like after playing college hockey? Not really, you know, I I knew I wanted to keep playing. Throughout my time at UBC, I kind of found my love for the game again, and especially in that fifth year, I just really enjoyed it. And I just knew after I was done, I was like, I'm not ready to be done. I want to keep playing. And I remember I remember after we lost at Nationals, I was really sad, but I was like, this isn't going to be the end. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep going. And I just knew that Calgary had a team, 
and kind of similar to Cornell, I knew a bunch of the girls in the team and I, and all of them were some of the, my favorite people that I had ever played with. So I knew that a group of girls is drawn and attracted to teams like that because of, you know, the good character and whatever else. So I, I, I kind of had a feeling that it would be a good fit for me. And I mean, I didn't expect, you know, I just want to, I'll just call up the Inferno and then I'll just play for them. But I remember, <laughs> I remember, I think I had talked to Jenner and, and Cuddy and I think they gave Hag my information and so she contacted me and she just was like I heard that you're maybe interested in playing and I was like yeah yeah definitely so she's like okay great well you know this is this is the process like put your name in for the draft and I was like okay sounds good and then I remember I was so excited when I when I got that call from Hag because I kind of realized that you know like oh like I can keep playing like because she said like they were interested especially it being a an Olympic year a bunch of girls are going to be gone so it was a pretty pretty cool experience getting that call from Hag and just realizing that my career wasn't over and that I was going to get to keep playing. Was Calgary the only team you were interested in playing for though? Like, I mean, you probably knew that there were other teams in the CWHL, but yeah. uh, how did you come to that conclusion? So yeah, there, I knew there were other teams and I mean, even NWHL, like other leagues I could have gone and played in. But for me, it was, it was just that family thing again. You know, I'd been away from home for a long time and been through a lot. And I think I just kind of wanted to be back around family. My, my two older sisters were home and you know, my parents were both there. And I think it was just an easy decision for me at that point, you know, just kind of, like I said, gut feeling just kind of fit and I liked it and it just felt good. So I didn't, I didn't put my name in for any other teams. I just knew I, I wanted to be in Calgary. So here we are again, new team, new coach, <laughs> yeah. new system, new players. Did you prepare better this time? What was that transition like for you? <laughs> I like to think i prepared better I felt like I um again kind of similar mindset to UBC I decided to go in and not have no expectations on myself I watched some games in the league I knew it was filled with Olympians and the top division one players I knew it was going to be extremely competitive and tough but I just told myself no expectations just go in and try hard play hard and try to have fun what were some of your highlights from the first year trip to China was pretty cool I'm really glad I got to do that I mean scoring my first CWHL goal I think just, I think overall for me, it was just continuing to play and realizing that I still loved it and that I still wanted to play, you know, and that it was something that I wanted to keep doing. I think for me, like that was, it wasn't really a memory, but more of just like a feeling that that came out of that first year was just realizing how much I still loved the game. So I talked to Jackie Perry and she was saying that this past season, the one you were part of, that group of girls was just one of the most special ones she's been a part of. What was special for you? I think I loved knowing that in some ways we were kind of the underdog. We lost all these girls to the Olympics or just had decided to move on with their lives. And you know, brand new coach and Thomas had been out of coaching for a few years. So it was just kind of all these new pieces to the puzzle that, I, especially for the returning girls, you know, Jackie would definitely be able to see it year to year. Like, how is this all going to fit together? So for me, I think it was amazing going in and just, being with this group of girls and every single girl on that team loved hockey and just wanted to be there. And it was a 6 a.m. practice. No problem. We'll be there, you know, because we want to be. Every single girl, I think in the CWHL, but especially for the Inferno, I felt this past year, they were there because they loved it. We're not getting paid full salaries. What other reason do we have to go to the rink at six in the morning on a Monday before you have to go to work for the whole day other than the fact that you love the game, right? It was just such like a... For the love of the game. Yeah, exactly. I think that really stuck out to me and just, I mean, you had people like Jackie and Cromer and Deb and Espo, like all these girls that just loved hockey and just wanted to have fun. And I think 
I think maybe because they were enjoying it so much, it helped me to enjoy it more. You know, I, I think it was maybe one of the first seasons where I really just appreciated the game. What was one of the first things that you noticed uh, in the level of play with the girls in the CWHL? I found the speed fairly similar to university. Okay. But I think I think it was the um, the level of maybe intelligence and just knowledge that comes with experience, right, for playing the game. I think it was that because once again, I'm just out of university. I'm playing against girls like some of them are 30 years old, right? So part of that maturity, maybe. Yeah, even. exactly. Just I think that was the biggest thing I noticed. I want to revisit that China trip for a second. So I had the opportunity to go with you guys as well. What was the craziest thing you ate at the hot pot restaurant? <laughs> I mean, I'm a bit of a chicken when it comes to food, so I don't think I tried anything too, too crazy. Oh my God. I remember they had that one really spicy. It was a super spicy sauce. And I literally took like a dot and put it on my tongue and it scalded my tongue. It took me, like, I had, I had no feeling in my mouth or I couldn't taste anything for like the next day. It was so hot and spicy. And like, some people were just using it as regular dip. And I, oh my God, I think that was, that was one of the craziest things. I had never tasted something so spicy in my entire life. You don't have to tell Thomas you had to be out of the next game because of an injured yeah, tongue or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Couldn't talk. Yeah. What was that experience playing like for you in that big arena? It was a different environment. It, it was different. The ice felt... A, a little different. I don't even know how to explain it. It just this huge rink, lots of Chinese fans. They're cheering on, um, but everyone's kind of jet lagged, and you know you're in China. It's just eating different foods, and it was a lot of acclimation to to get used to in a couple of short days, right before you had to play your first game. But um, I loved it. I thought it was awesome. Like I know, I know it was tough flying 16 hours and then playing a game like two days later is never going to be easy but it was um I just loved it because it was such a grind in some ways and it was so that first game that you played against Vanky was that more of a struggle or is it is it more of a struggle playing a game right after you finish work going to play a game after working a full day is maybe more mentally draining you like you just kind of feel tired and sluggish like because you've just been thinking all day when you're at work but you know, when you're when you're traveling, you can kind of just zone out. And but I think I think the toll in your body is a lot greater after, a, like a full day of travel. You know, we're sitting for fifteen hours. Yeah, exactly. Like something like that. And I mean, it was obviously to a greater extent when we went to China. But even when we go to Boston, right? Like we're up at four a.m. to catch the flight to get there, and then sometimes don't even have enough time to really do a good warm up. You just kind of got to jump on the ice. So it's just adapting to whatever whatever gets thrown at you, right? To try to get the job done. Thank you, Murr, for joining me. Uh, It's been a pleasure talking to you and getting to hear your story. Yeah, thank you so much, Jer. I really appreciate it. For more content, don't forget to hit that subscribe button. And you can also download other episodes at sportcalgary.ca. To stay up to date on the latest RTP news, including new episodes, make sure you follow on Instagram at readingtheplay and myself at Legacy. Murr's story is incredible, and I hope there's a piece of Kelly's journey that can impact, inspire, and ignite you to help you win your day. And as always, I'll catch you in the next episode.